Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good morning, and this is Sanjay Ture. Welcome back to another episode of Tuesdays with Corey with your host, Corey Rick. Today's show is sponsored by our dear friends at the Long-Term Care Planning Group. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> doing great, Sanjay. How are you? I'm doing good. Who do we have the pleasure of speaking to today? Well, Sanjay, today we have another great guest on the Tuesdays with Corey show. Beth Dow comes to our show as a very successful business owner in the senior living space, having started Home Helpers in Noonan in 2006, and she also has a lot of experience in the assisted living area as well. Beth is also the author of My Loved One Has Dementia, Now What? Without question, she's an excellent resource for helping senior citizens and their families. Beth, welcome. Hey, good to be here. I think your, your experience and success is timely for our listenership, Beth, and, and tell us a little bit about you so that you can introduce yourself further to our audience. Well, I am a late bloomer, so to speak. I. How can that be? You're only 25. <laughs> I know. I um, went back to college when I was 30. I did the um, back in my day typical thing of you get out of high school and you get married. And I did go to college, but I kept on getting pregnant. And so I figured out I needed to stay home and keep babies. And I stayed home. And then at 30, I went back to school. Originally wanted to go to school to work for hospice. I had been volunteering for hospice when hospice was a very new um, idea. Great people. Uh, back then. And that's why I went to school, was to work for hospice. Um, as things happen, um, they did. And the dean of my school was very tied in with the juvenile court system. And um, after I graduated, he got me hooked in with juvenile court. But, um, and how, a, how was that experience? I loved it. Why? I loved you. I worked with sex offenders. And... Um, the reason I loved it is because for whatever reason, God gave me the ability to see people for people and not what they did, but who they are. And I very quickly realized two things is that the kids that were offending, um, most of them were offenders. They had been offended themselves, so they were sexually abused. Um, so I realized that, that they were doing something they had been trained to do, and they really did not understand that it was wrong because it had been done to them, or even if they did understand it was wrong, it didn't matter because it was done to them. So I understood that very quickly. And then I also understood very quickly is that there really wasn't a lot of rehabilitation that was going to happen for them. And those two things allowed me to really treat them as children, of which they were, but also gave me the ability to know that they had to be punished and they had to be locked away from other children that they could hurt. And I, I absolutely love that job. How did you help them, given those circumstances? I think the two things that I did to help them was I treated them like people. They, they all loved me, but they all also knew I was going to lock them up. And I locked them up, and I got them treatment. But they would be locked up. Hmm. So you did that for a while. And you seem to have all these family experiences, uh, senior-related experiences. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, well, going back, way back, my, um, my dad and granddad, um, were both in the military and my grandmother was 15 years old when she had my mama. 
So there was only like 14 years difference between my grandfather and my daddy. Okay. Okay. So they were in the military together and were um, lots of times stationed at different places. So when when daddy was stationed away, we would live with grandmom and granddaddy. When granddaddy was stationed away, grandmama would live with us. So I was raised with grandparents a lot. And then grandmama had a stroke and... How old were you when that happened? I was adult. I had children. So I was like in my 20s when she, um, when she had her stroke. We had always thought grandmama was just crazy because back then they really didn't have a term for it. Now we understand it was vascular dementia. Hmm. It was dementia caused from the stroke um, of where the blade, brain bleed was. And because... I was working because I was raising children, because I wasn't really close by. Uh, I didn't know how to help granddaddy. And my granddaddy was a phenomenal man. And no matter what, he would always tell us he had it. He, he's got it. Do you need anything? No, I got it. Not atypical of that era. Right, exactly. And um, so we believed him. And granddaddy died of a massive stroke, which often happens there's a statistic and it's a very big statistic but it says that 40 to 70 percent of people who care for someone with a long-term illness a long-term illness will die before the person they're taking care of but the reason the gap is so big 40 to 70 is it depends on the age of the person taking care of somebody so if you're 20 years old and healthy and you're taking care of somebody with a long-term illness you're going to make it you're going to survive but if you're 70 and you're taking care of somebody with long-term illness, and you're not in really great health yourself, you're not. And that's what happened to Granddaddy. And it was at that time that I realized what a damaging effect caregiving had on him. And we were really clueless, partly because we probably didn't want to see it, because we were so busy, we didn't know how to make time or put on our platter of stuff we had, how to make room to help him. But then the yeah, other denial's not a river in Egypt, is it? It's not, you know. And um, you know, and, and he also always said he had it. Yeah. You know, and, and we believed him too. Do you think that taking care of chronically ill people makes the caregiver chronically ill? Yes. Without a doubt. You can see it over and over again. When there's someone who's taking care of somebody with a long-term illness and that person dies, the caregiver will get sick. And very often, once again, depending on their age and their health, very often within 12 months, they'll be dead. But yes, it really wears on the caregiver. Do you think your experience as as a caregiver and the experience that you just shared with the listenership was useful in you developing the home helpers idea in 2006. Yes. I mean, it was, I I can remember it so clearly at that time I was working with uh, DFACS. I wasn't an employee of DFACS. I was a contract person with DFACS working with children who had been removed from their homes. And I remember clearly laying on my couch one day (laughs) and this idea of needing care and providing care for seniors and people who needed help just popped into my head. And I called one of the girls I was working with 
um, at the time. And I said, I got this great idea. I said, I, th- I think we can do this. We, we're, we need to build a company where we can have people that go in and help people who are taking care of their loved ones. Yeah. And, and she said, oh, there's companies like that. I had no idea there were companies like that at all. And then started doing some research and found out there were companies like that, that it wasn't that I had a brilliant idea, that somebody had a brilliant idea before me. And uh, started I think researching. It is, I think it is an excellent idea. I think that – Do you th- would you agree, Beth, that people are called th- – th- being a caregiver, would you agree that it's a calling? Because said differently, not everybody is cut out to be a caregiver. Being a good caregiver is a calling. Unfortunately, what happens is life happens. Yeah. And we have lots of caregivers that were not called into it. And they are just struggling trying to do it every day. And it is wearing them ragged because they weren't called. So, yes, caregivers, professional caregivers, I truly believe are called. It is an unbelievable profession of how much heart and dignity and empathy you have to have. Um, to be a good caregiver, but unfortunately, most family caregivers do not have that calling. It just happened. Well, I would say with your experience and success with home helpers and prior to that, you working with uh, the juvenile uh, folks, and then prior to that, the hospice experience, clearly you're, I would put you in that category of you know a professional caregiver, somebody that is empathetic, somebody that, that does all those things. And that is a I mean, the P, anybody that works with hospice, that's, those are really special people to be, able to, con, to, to be able to fill that role knowing the people that you're helping, kind of the circumstances and the path that it's taking. Yeah, I, I love the people I work with. I absolutely love them. I am nowhere near the level of the caregivers that take care of them every day. Yeah. My mom is a perfect example. She has Alzheimer's, has had it for 15 years. We have 24-hour caregivers. Mm. Those caregivers take better care of her than I could ever take care of her. So, you know, the level of care that people need, I'm not there. Yeah. Well, you're certainly providing, you know, when your role as a CEO and a founder of Home Helpers Noonan, I mean, certainly that was a, that's a really important role because a lot of people don't, they don't realize that you can go out and get somebody to, you know, keep you in the community that you've created. And that's a really valuable thing for somebody that uh, is struggling with their health. And I think it's valuable equally for the caregiver because they get the opportunity to uh, go out and do things to run the household, get a respite, and so on. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you agree? Yeah. There's very little that someone has to go into a nursing home for. Yeah. Uh, it does cost money, so you do have to have the monetary ability to do it. But you can keep almost anybody in your home if you choose to do that. And people don't realize that care, I mean, it can be as simple as providing meals because that's usually the first place we see. There's two first steps we see in people who are elderly or who are, are sick that they start deteriorating. One is, is they quit eating good food. Because they stop cooking, they don't feel like cooking, maybe because of dementia, they can't remember how to cook. So good meals and healthy nutrition is really high on something you can bring someone in to do. The next step is the medication of having somebody overseeing that medication. Those are two vital steps that kind of get missed. You kind of don't, you still think mama's okay because she likes Stouffer's dinners. 
you know, and she only misses her meds once in a while. But those are really important steps where you probably need to start looking at bringing someone in the home to start helping. Well, in, in, in an area like Atlanta, there are so many organizations, would you agree, that are out there to help? Uh, they can help you with meals. They can make sure that uh, the nutrition is where it needs to be for each of the meals. Somebody can deliver it. A, it's a lot different being ill now in dealing with the consequences of living a long life than it was 50 years ago, right? Oh, yeah, and, and, you know, and, and now no one lives close to their families. So you think, too, okay, you know, I, mama's two hours away. What can I do? We've got all these meal delivery places. Yeah. Like you said, you can have a good, healthy meal delivered right to their door. You know, we can arrange that. Amazon will deliver food right to yeah. your door. You know, there's so many things, cleaning supplies, everything. You can live states away and still ensure that your loved one is getting the nutrition they need. And then there's all these, the technology, even with medication. We have machines now that you fill up with the medication and you can only get to your medication at 8 o'clock. Yeah. That compartment will only open at 8 o'clock for you to get your meds. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's lots of things we can do now. Yeah, there's been a lot of advancements in helping people that, for whatever reason, need more assistance as time goes on. Uh, I think that you know, what we see is uh, essentially the, the, one of the main questions that we ask people is, do you think that you'll live a long life? And while it may seem straightforward, you know, 35, 40 years ago, if a person had a stroke or a heart attack, they died. And now that's not necessarily a death sentence. You know, no. and, and I remember looking at reading your book that we're going to get to in a few minutes here. Anybody, my loved one has dementia now. Just a great read and a great playbook for having to, 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 to deliver care. And one of the things that you highlighted in your book was the C word. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I, you know, 35, 40 years ago, back in the old country in southern Minnesota, when somebody uttered that word cancer, Usually that meant that the other that the person they were talking about was going to be gone and dying. And and now that's not necessarily a death sentence anymore. No, thank goodness. I mean, people with cancer, we're not afraid of that anymore. People no, live. You no. know, it's not. But you know, like like I've said in the book, now it's the A word. Everyone's afraid of the Alzheimer's word. Yes. And and people don't want they won't go to the doctor because they're afraid they may have Alzheimer's. Well, and I think uh, to wrap that up, I mean, I think people by and large there's certainly more information out there about how to live a long life, going to your physician, you know, eating the right things, uh, you know, wearing the right workout clothes when you work out, hydration, and you know, all of the information out there, uh, eat this, not that. And think about how the medicine has progressed over the last 35 to 40 years. I mean, so people are living a lot longer, which really lends itself to people needing some help at some point. Would you agree? Yes. I mean, Definitely. I think that, um, and I think most reasonable people would say that. And a lot of times what is missed is, you know, when the long-term care issue that you have so much experience with and its associated challenges present itself to that person, they don't realize that it's no longer about them. It's about the people that have to drop what they're doing and help them. Exactly. And, and there's a big emotional toll to doing that and physical, as we've kind of discussed, mm -hmm. but there's a big, there's also an additional set of consequences, and that's financial. Somebody's got to pay for it. Exactly. And and a lot of times, it's missed. Like 
but it's such an advantage to have the specialized knowledge like uh, an organization like Home Helpers to come into the home. They can anticipate. They can look at what needs to be done. They can say, hey, Mr. Rick, you're going to need this. You're going to need that. And somebody else with more skill and more knowledge is doing the work as opposed to maybe somebody like myself that doesn't have that knowledge, doesn't have that experience. And uh, if you don't have those things, it can be extremely stressful to try to figure out on the fly what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I, I think just having access to the knowledge in the history and the experience that someone like you has is uh, it's, it's really um, it's game changing. I mean, because most or a lot of families, they really, this is the first time they've dealt with something like this. And I can't tell you how many times families come to me and they think they'll, they'll tell me, you know, we thought mom and dad financially were fine. We thought the house was paid off. We thought they had money in the bank and they found out there's a second mortgage on the house that there's credit card bills. They had no idea because as we get older, we don't like to talk to our adult children about our finances. It is none of their business, yeah. and we don't tell them. Well, that's not uncommon. A lot of families they 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 don't talk about those things, and that could be generational. It could be there could be other matters there. And I think that uh, one of the things that that I see is you know your family has the opportunity to care for you or about you. And the about you part is having access to somebody that is the formal game plan, like yourself, uh, like home helpers. The alternative is to be the to be the plan. And to families that don't take the time to do that, that is what happens many times. The family is the plan. And a lot of times, without any prior experience, it's easy for somebody to say, well, you know, my wife will just help me or my son will just help me. Mm-hmm. And without respect, without regard to all the other things that are going on in those folks' lives. Because people are very busy. And uh, I think if you're in the same city, it's difficult to help out with care. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we, we do have busy lives. And, and a lot of times our older relatives, they really do not realize the imposition it puts on them. Because to them, it is um, it's just taking me to get my hair done. That's all I'm asking for is you to take me to get my hair done. But what they don't realize is all the other things you're having to do. You know, the so you work in a 40-hour-a-week job. I do not know of a 40-hour-a-week job. You know, Not if you're doing it right. You not know, if you're excelling. There's not. You know, and then, then you've got drive time, and then you have so many people that are working second jobs. And if you've got kids, you've got all their sporting events. I mean, I did a thing one time where I, I put the number of hours in a day or in a week and then minus out travel time, work time, getting ready time, cooking time, housekeeping time, clean. I came up with negative number at the end of how we actually can do it all. And now you're trying to add on care for an additional person. No wonder we're like so stressed. It's pathetic. Yeah, right now I'm so far behind I can never die. Exactly. Exactly. It, you know, it's, it's, I think people do have a lot going on. They are taking on more. I think it is harder uh, to be an adult. It is harder to be a child. And I think with the advent of the smartphones and everything, uh, getting away can sometimes be a challenge. And so uh, I think people are very, very busy and the consideration after some period of time of the opportunity costs, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's with hobbies or activities, it 
it can affect the circumstances. Uh, would you agree? Oh, yes. I mean, the, the average number of hours someone, a caregiver gives is 20 hours a week. You think that's right now lot. of your life. Three hours, that's, that's almost three hours a day. So pull 20, give me 20 more hours. And that's average. Well, I think that is, that's almost a whole day. Exactly, out of your week. And, you know, they're not making any more time. So that, I, I don't know how anybody could do that. But I know, I know that there, obviously it is being done. It has to be done. Um, do you think people are aware of the services and the acumen that a company like Home Helpers has? I hear all the time, I didn't know there were services like yours around. Why do you suppose that is? Because unless you need it, you don't pay attention to it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are all kinds of advertisements on TV you see, on magazines. You see it, you hear it, you hear it on the radio. But if you don't need it, you turn it out. You know, you just don't listen to it. Or you may not understand it, or you may think, oh, that's for somebody who's really sick. Mama's not really sick. She just can't drive anymore and cook anymore and take her medicine, but she's not really sick yet. Or it'll never happen to me. Like, Mama's sharp as a tack. We're not going to need that. So you turn it off. Well, I think prior experience is a very, very powerful educator and a a very powerful predictor if somebody does anything about this. Um, And unfortunately... Most families don't learn about that until they're already, they're already in the middle of it. Exactly. Uh, but it would be easy for me to look at never having gone through it. It would be easy for me to say, I, I don't need it. Mm-hmm. But since that's not the case, it's, you know, and I have seen it up close and personal, it's, it's very easy to see how valuable somebody like you and an organization that has people that are trained to help people and to really, more importantly, anticipate the next step. Right. I do a talk that's called the 4070 conversation. And it's the conversation you need to have if you are 40 or your parent is 70. And it's actually a talk that I have the children and parents there together. And it's all about the conversations you need to have. Is it in a now. cage? Do, is there a cage match afterwards? <laughs> yeah, that could work. <laughs> it, it gets lively sometimes. Sounds full of good ideas. <laughs> but it talks about everything from driving of when to give up the driver's license, of where do you want to live what, the what rest of your life. What do you tell them about the driving? I want to folk come back to that for a second. What, do you, what is your advice on somebody about when they need to give up driving? What are the signs? and The physical sign is... is Don't tell you, me I need to give up my driving. <laughs> I'll have to look at your car. The physical <laughs> sign is if you look at your loved one's car and you see dents and scratches on the four corners, that is a good indication they don't need to be driving. Another thing is to ride with them. And I'll have people all the time that tell me, I'm not going to ride with them. Or I won't let my children ride with them. Okay, if you're not going to ride with them or you won't let your children ride with them, why are you allowing them to be on the street? But the problem that we do is, one, is we don't have the conversation with them ahead of time. Second, we take their driver's license away from them and we do not give them another option. Do not ever take someone's driving privileges away from them unless you have an alternative for them to get around. Well, what would be that alternative? You can hire somebody. You can talk to church. You know, I, I tell people to, to, to go with it to slowly. If they go to church, the, the typical thing is mama only drives to church. Okay. She doesn't need to. So let's talk to the church. Is there no one from that church that drives right by her house? Yeah. 
So before you take her driver's license away from her, you say, hey, how about calling Mama and just say, hey, Betty, you know, I go right by your house every Sunday. Let me pick you up because I don't like, you know, and maybe we go do dinner after church or something. Start a process. Great idea. You know, just start before you take the keys away, put things into place. Yeah. You know, start if she goes to the hairdresser every Tuesday, every Tuesday she goes to the hairdresser. Before you take the keys away, let's move that appointment to a more convenient time for you or for whoever is going to be taking her. Maybe it's a Saturday. But do that before you take the keys away so that she's already in the habit so you're not changing her entire life. Well, it lessens the sting, I would imagine, of taking uh, somebody's driving privileges away and, and having an alternative to say, hey, you can still do these things. It's just that you won't be the one driving. All right, you know, so get them vehicle. in the habit of being the rider. Yeah. You know, not the driver. Get in the habit of that. But the the, the sting of you, you got to think your first sign of independence when when you were sixteen and you got those car keys. That is your first sign of independence. One of them, yes. Getting those keys taken away is devastating. Unless you can show them you can still be independent, you can still have control. Telling your loved one, "I'll take you wherever you need to go when I'm working seventy hours a week." is not the answer. That's not taking them wherever they want to go when they go. Well, You've creates got to be able to stress for both people. Both. So provide them a way whether that's hiring someone like home helpers, a home care company or someone else, allow them to have the ability to decide where they want to go, when they want to go, they're just not driving. Yeah, that's a, that's another advantage of a, of an organization like home helpers is hey, if somebody I would imagine if someone needed to get around uh, they could call your organization and you could set up a schedule and you would uh, help them do that, I would imagine, right? We can help them. We, we have, you know, we have minimum hours and things that we can do and all. So it's not, it's very hard for you to call up and say, hey, I need somebody tomorrow. Yeah, you have to schedule that, it. You got to right? have it scheduled. You got to have it set up and all that, but we can do that. And it's just, it's all planning and it's, you know, it's not just taking them to the grocery store. You know, it's taking them to the grocery store, helping them with their buggy, help them with their groceries, help them bring in the groceries, help them putting the groceries up, yeah. making sure they're getting what they need. You know, taking them to the doctor, listening because sometimes they don't hear what the doctor's saying. So a lot of times you need to look past just the transportation. You need to look what the what the task is and what's the best way to fulfill the task. And if you're dealing with someone with dementia, who really does not need to be driving, it's amazing how sometimes if you just remove the keys or the car from their sight, they forget. And, and people think that's so odd. We did that with my father-in-law. He was driving one day. We moved his truck to the back of the property where he couldn't see it, and he never thought about driving. Interesting. The truck was the cue. He, as long as he saw the truck, he knew he was supposed to go driving. We removed the truck. You know, and you can... You know, you can you can borrow the car and accidentally tell them you wrecked the car, and it's in the shop. Yeah. You know, so there's there's ways you can get around them driving. Really great alternatives. Uh, I like the idea of if you have to suggest to someone, hey, we're not, you can't drive anymore, but here's how we're going to, here's how you're going to continue to to be active, and here's how you're going to continue to live your life. We can have, hire a driver. We can. You know, have a cab. We can hire home helpers. We can develop a schedule. I, I think that's great that that you kind of try to establish a schedule and to try to establish an alternative before you take something that is so uh, important and so, in many cases, fiercely held onto. And if you can have that conversation early, 
so that everybody knows, okay, when you get to this point, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for the dents in the car. You know, we're looking for when you drive the wrong way on the one-way street. You know, we're, this is what we're looking for. If you have those conversations early and then you have the plan in place. So I'm never going to let you see my car or drive with me. <laughs> I, I love it when I do these, um, when I do my talks and I start talking about the car mm-hmm. and you can see people kind of squirming. <laughs> Because it's a great place. I do, I do a talk just for churches because, you know, dementia and all in churches, it's, it's a major issue um, with the congregation. And so I talk just to churches and I tell them that this is a good place for their parking lot attendants to really see who should be driving and who shouldn't. Because they see those cars coming in. They see how they park. They see who they have to get out of the way of when they pull in. And, you know, so I tell them that's even, you know. There's many places churches can help families, but even parking lot attendants in churches who you would not think yeah. could really help a family can make a major impact on telling a family your loved one probably is at danger. When was there a certain jumping off point that led you to know for certain, hey, I've got to start home helpers. I've got to start a home uh, help agency, being an entrepreneur and business owner, was there a set of circumstances or or an event that happened where you just knew you had to do this? I guess when I first came up, when I thought I had come up with this great idea um, is where it was. My husband has always been an entrepreneur. He's owned grocery stores, convenience stores, logging companies, noise abatement companies. He has always been an entrepreneur, always owned his own businesses. And And I would help slightly in those things, but I always knew I could do it too. I, I'm, I can make decisions. I am, can see visions. I know where something should be. And so I just, I knew I could do it. Um, You know, what, what is the old thing is you, you miss every at bat, you miss every hit that you don't try. You miss every shot you don't take. Every shot you don't take, you know, so it, it, Failure never even came into my head. I didn't think I would fail. I thought I could do it. I knew that the need was out there. I knew that I had the, you know, the work ethic to do it. And so I did it. What was involved with getting the company started? Well, it's a franchise. So I I called um, and looked into many different franchises. How did you decide on this one? Two things that really didn't matter in the end is um, when I was looking at the different franchises, the Home Helpers franchise at that time did not require um, a storefront, so I didn't have to have brick and mortar, mortar. And then they also had a segment where you worked with new moms. And I thought, oh, the, the fishing hole is bigger. It's not just seniors. It's now new moms also with new babies or moms that have been put on bed rest and things like that. So those were really the two things that had home helpers shine better for me. Once Very I got clever in it, about the new moms. Isn't that a great idea? Yes. Um, so, but once I got in and started doing it, I did have a storefront. And I really ended up not doing new moms because I just kind of naturally gravitate toward the seniors and that end. So when I looked at where I wanted to put my energy, it wasn't at the new mom end. It was the senior end. So um, so the reasons I initially picked it really didn't matter. Hmm. Um, it's a great company. I'm glad I picked it. We signed 10-year contracts. We've signed another one. Um, if I didn't think it was a great company, I wouldn't <clears> have. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad we picked it. 
What are some of the things you like best about Home Helpers? Home Helpers, my company in the business, or Home Helpers Corporate? Your company in the – well, both. Okay. Um, the corporate, when – I can just tell you, the corporate when I started and the corporate now is is really different. Um, when I started with Home Helpers, they were also new, so they were also finding their way. Um, now Home Helpers has their act so much more together corporately than they did when I started. Um, that's not anything negative. That's just they were new. We were both sure. finding our ways at the same time. So the new person coming on to Home Helpers now is getting much more support from corporate than I did. Mm. When I came on from Home Helpers, I got support from other Home Help franchisees, oh, more so than I did corporate, which was phenomenal. And it was another woman really? um, that helped, Mary Poor was phenomenal and she helped me and took me under her wing and showed me the ropes and she was great. So that that was the thing about a franchise. When you go out and you started doing and my, and my husband always told me, you need to do it yourself. You don't need a franchise. You don't need to spend the money on the franchise. Do it yourself. Cuz cuz you can do it. I'm glad I didn't do it by myself because I needed that support. I needed you know, I just needed for me I needed them. And so I'm glad I didn't. I, I think it's hard to do it by yourself, mm. harder to do it by yourself than it, than it was um, for me. I love Home Helpers as a business because we really, really do help people. We really do. And and I love people. I love the older people. I am, I'm working now, um, have kind of shifted gears. I have, two and a half years ago, I gave the reins of home helpers over to my son, Grant, who is doing a phenomenal job and is continuing to make it grow and is doing great. Initially, when I left, I left to go teach and to do speaking gigs on Alzheimer's because that's what I love to do is I love to teach people on Alzheimer's. And then a friend of mine who has an assisted living community, um, I reached out to him and I said, do you need some help? And he said, yeah. So um, I started helping Monarch House and assisted living community in Noonan in February for a three-month stint of, of helping as a director, um, getting some policies and procedures and things like that in order, and fell in love with the people. Yeah. And so with the assisted living and home helpers, it's both. It always goes back to those people. Yeah. They are wonderful, and the stories they have to tell are phenomenal. And... One thing that working at Monarch House allows me to do now that a home helpers didn't allow me to do is now I'm with these people all day long and I have a lot more time to talk to them. When I was running home helpers, I was running a business and I would get to talk to the families when I signed them up and I would get to talk to the families when I checked in on them or I'd get to talk to families when they were having a problem. One thing I do at Monarch House is I go in every morning at seven o'clock primarily just to serve breakfast to help. Because that's when I get to talk to everybody in the community. And I love that time. When I get through with breakfast, I always tell them, okay, I'm going to work now. Because <laughs> I just, I love the people. What would you say are some of the main differences between an organization like Home Helpers that helps folks in their home and uh, assisted living like Monarch House? Um, it's, it's two, there's, it, it fills two different needs. Okay. For example, my mom and dad, daddy had Lou Gehrig's and a ton of other things. He was an agent orange kid coming back from Vietnam. So he had everything you can imagine. He stayed in his home until the day he died. 
24-hour care through home helpers. My mama has been in her home, 24 hours care, home helpers. We were able to do that, first off, because financially, that's what they wanted. We were able to meet all their needs. And mom and dad had a network of friends that they still was able to get social engagement, which is majorly, majorly important. It's really the social engagement key. You have got to, it doesn't matter what age you are. Why is that important, do you think? It is the most, number one detrimental thing to your health is social engagement, no matter what your age is. Hmm. You, you will live longer, you will be healthier, you will be happier if you have that social engagement. So if you're sitting at home by yourself and no one ever comes around, I'm going to say you're a candidate for assisted living. Because there you're going to get the social engagement. You're going to get people around you. We had a lady that came in to Monarch House. Gosh, I think it was February or March. Her family was so concerned. They were so concerned they didn't even think she would meet the criteria of assisted living. They were afraid she was going to have to be in nursing home because she was so depressed, so down. That's exactly what it was. She was depressed. She comes into Monarch House. She starts making friends. She starts making activities doing activities. She is the first person on the bus whenever that bus leaves to go somewhere. She's in all the activities. She, they cannot believe the difference it's made in her. Hmm. I'm telling you, that woman would not be alive today yeah. if they had left her in her home. Certainly, uh, assisted livings uh, you know, are very, very helpful to uh, the inhabitants, uh, but also to the families, because uh, don't you think safety is a big part of this, too? Oh, yeah. They prey on people. Um, we, we also have a resident in, in Monarch House who's on, and unfortunately, the number one person that preys financially on someone is a family member. So Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's their number one predator of older people is family. And this one resident we have is a perfect example of that. Her family, extended family, has stolen thousands of dollars from her. They have just substantially taken um, advantage of her and exploited her. Hmm. And the whole reason she's with us is for that protection hmm. of where no one can do that anymore to her. Yeah. Well, you've won a lot of awards at Home Helpers. Yeah, so... I think we've won about everyone Home Helpers has to offer. And what is so cool, um, just so cool to me, is one of the first awards we won was the Pioneer Award. And it was an award for, um, <laughs> yeah, the Pioneer Award. And what was so cool about it is that that's an award for people who kind of look outside of the box and try to do things different and try to do that. And I won it um, early on. And last year, my son won the same award. Oh, that's great. And Apple doesn't fall far that from the tree. Is just, that was just really, really cool for me. Yeah. Um, I am so proud of him. And the job he does with Home Helpers, um, he he has just done a great job. How many employees do you have? Does Grant have there now? Uh, I th- it I would say probably ninety to a hundred. It kind of kind of wavers, um, and I really have completely removed myself from that. I it is Grant and um, we tried to work together for a little while. Um, very hard to try to work together. <laughs> 
and have figured... This just in, family yeah. often finds difficulty working with family. Right. Um, you know, but, you know, I knew that Grant was the future of Home Helpers. I knew that there were some other things I wanted to do. Yeah. And I also knew he would never be able to run Home Helpers like he needed to if I was still in the wings. So I really have stepped back. So, um, you know, I, I, I try to know what's going on, but, you know, to know like a, when I was running it, I could tell you how many employees I had. Um, I'm not sure right now how many employees he have, but somewhere around there. Was it hard for you to step back? Awful. Something that you built? Awful. Yeah, it really was. It, um, cause that was my baby. Um, I wish, you know, I, I, I wish there was a way we could have figured out how to do it together. Maybe, um, but I don't think doing it together, because I am very much a domineering person, don't like to be, but I see how something should be, and sometimes I well, don't. don't you have to be if you, run, if you have your own business? I think it helps. I tell you where it hurts is, is helping with the assisted living, because I'm not the owner. You know, so now it's like I see things the way I would do them. And the owner sees things the way he wants to do them. So it is kind of hard to get back in that role. Um, but um, but it, it was very hard. Um, what really helped me was when I really settled in and thought, you know, what I really like to do is teach. And that's how I built Home Helpers, is I built Home Helpers by doing classes, by doing workshops. Yeah. That's how I built it. So going back to that, and I was able to do quite a bit of that last year, a lot of teaching and things like that, and I loved it. And then I'd been wanting to write a book um, because that's one thing that families would always tell me. There's lots of books out there about dementia, but they're like a thousand pages, and I just can't get through them. Are they too technical? Are they kind of dated? And so I've been wanting to do something like that, and I actually have a couple more in the hopper that I've wanting to spit out soon. Um, so it was, I was able to do that. Yeah. And my husband and I like travel. And so we were able to do some traveling. And so where it was very hard and very difficult, it was the absolute right thing to do. And, um, and if I hadn't have done it, the book probably wouldn't have come out. I wouldn't have been beating these folks at Monarch house that I'm meeting and living yeah. with and loving so, well, it seems like you've uh, you've prospered as a result of the transition. And one that, one of the things that I wanted to ask you um, does home helpers serve a specific area, or do you have a certain ge- geography that that you work with? We do. It's pretty much from um, South Fulton County, Palmetto, Peachtree okay. City, Fayetteville. So start going down south to Lagrange, Harris County, that area, over to Carrollton. So it's Kind of a West Georgia, South Atlanta metro area. Now there's there's other home helper <clears throat> franchises. Yeah. So there's home helper franchises in Atlanta. So there's you know there's home helper franchises everywhere. My particular one is the South Atlanta area. I would imagine that uh, if I had a client in Florida that needed some assistance, I could maybe call you and you could find somebody or make a referral or, or right. Yes. Yes, I could refer you to somebody with home helpers. Um, I could refer you to, you know, I can tell you other agencies that are in the area um, that you can do it. You would know somebody that's competent 
to help, probably. I would, I would know. If I don't, I tell people all the time, I don't know all the answers, but I know people who know the answers. <laughs> yeah. What's the greatest challenge uh, in, fi- in, in an organization like Home Helpers finding new clients? How do they get their new business? Most of it really is word of mouth, mm-hmm. really and truly is word of mouth. Um, the The biggest competition with home care is the independent person, the Aunt Sally that provides care in someone's home. That's the biggest competition because they can do it cheaper, mm. um, you know, Companies like Home Helpers has to do workers' comp. They have to have liability insurance. You know, they have to have have to be properly licensed. The plus the licensing is the licensing in Georgia for home care is enormous. But doesn't that protect the client ultimately? Yes, I mean that's that's the thing. I mean, you don't know just because you know Aunt Sally is the person you go to church with, aunt. You know nothing about them personally. You do not know what is going on with their lives. And so what I always tell people, if you go that route, at a minimum, do a financial background check and do a criminal background check at a minimum and put a camera in your home because I do not care how much you like somebody. Once again, you do not know how they are when you are not around. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that the fact that they have uh, presumably some compliance metrics to meet and uh, requirements, uh, that ultimately protects the client and their family. And, well, the stress, you know, and, if, you, if you have Aunt Sally and she's sick and Aunt Sally calls out, you've got to go to work. Yeah. Well, what do you do? If you're working with an agency and Susie calls out, find somebody they've else. got Billy ready to come. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the stress level's reduced, the risk is reduced. Um, they're going to be better trained. They have to do training. They yeah. have to have annual training when they work with an agency. An independent person doesn't. Yeah. So certainly the clients are in a much better position to use uh, a licensed agency like Home Helpers. Uh, families are protected. You've had so much success with Home Helpers, uh, but I want to talk about your book. Um, the book is titled My Loved One Has Dementia. Now What? And I've read it. It's 76 pages. Uh, it's, a, it's a great read. It's about 30 minutes. Uh, it gives some great advice in there. And I can tell from knowing you that, you know, it was written with a, you know, from a place of love and, um, you know, wanting to help people. But uh, this would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, very helpful for me about 15 years ago. <laughs> tell us about the journey of writing the book and, and how all that came about. Well, like I said, it, it really came about from, from people that were attending my talks and all just saying they just they can't read these huge books. And so I wanted something that was a 15, 30-minute read to the put Cliff in their hands. version. Yeah, the exactly. Exactly. And I have had one of the best compliments I've ever had was somebody that told me – well, there's, there's two really great compliments. One was someone that told me I read so-and-so book, which was the Bible of dementia – and um, that everybody would know. And they said, you said everything that book said in 30 minutes. Yeah. That was important. And I thought that was great. And then another really neat thing that someone called, it was actually a preacher. He said, I was reading your book. And he called me from the restaurant. <clears throat> and he said, I need another one of your books. He says, as a matter of fact, I need 19 of them. I said, okay. 
He said, I was reading your book and the waitress came up and asked me about it. And I found out that her mom had dementia. Mm. I gave her my book. And so I sat here and started thinking, who else did I know that had dementia? I need 19 more books. (laughs) Well, certainly has, uh, um, with your great run at Home Helpers, uh, doing this has certainly separated you. Um, And I think that it, it certainly puts you, it certainly lends itself to your educator mentality. And um, I think it's another way that you're really helping people. Uh, and you're right. We've evolved from talking about the C word, cancer, mm-hmm. and now it's the A word, Alzheimer's or dementia-related uh, items. But I think it, for anybody that is uh, experiencing challenges uh, with their family around this, it's, a, it's an excellent read and it's a, it lays out a way to kind of deal with it, getting your team together and having people. It's sort of like having a bus and having everybody, you know, sit in the right seat. Exactly. You, you cannot. The, the main thing, the takeaway is that you cannot do this alone. No. You really cannot. And there are people around you that you may not even be able to th- be able to think about that could possibly help you. Um, like I said, you know, I have people all the time that they'll say, well, all my brothers and sisters live states away. There's nothing they can do. Well, yeah, there is. There are things they can do. So, um, you know, and that's what I try to point out is that there's, there's jobs for everybody. I like what you say on page 41. Success is what comes after you stop making excuses. I absolutely love that. And that's a hundred percent true. Um, and I think having helped multiple members of my family with this. I think that's a, um, it seems like if you're delivering care with your family, there's usually a couple people that step up and do what needs to be done. There's others that, you know, maybe don't. Is that consistent with your experience? Always. Uh, it doesn't matter how many children a, a parent has, there's always going to be one or two that step up and the others are busy. And it's not that the ones who step up aren't busy. It's just, um, you know, there's family dynamics. There's yeah. all kinds of stuff. There's personalities. There's all kinds of reasons. But you really do have to get rid of excuses. Yeah. And you just have to build a plan. Well, it doesn't change the fact that certain tasks have to get done. Exactly. And uh, I think that. Uh, is it is it fair to say that the one that does the least usually wants to comment the most? The one who does the least and the one who's furthest away yeah. is the one who's going to have the most negative comments to say. Typically, not always, no. um, but a lot of times because they're not close enough, they don't see it. And especially when you're dealing with dementia, yeah. people with dementia can hold it together for a 30-minute conversation to where you think there's nothing wrong. Yeah. So you live in San Francisco and your sister telling you, Mom... You know, she's, she doesn't remember anything. She can't do anything. She really needs help. And you say, well, I just talked to her on the phone, and, and she's telling me what she did yesterday, and she's telling me this. Uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time, Mama, who was the typical perfect military wife, ironed everything of my daddy's, T-shirts, boxer shorts, everything. I remember reading that in and the so, book. Yes, yeah, so I would call her, and I'd say, what you doing, Mama? Ironing. That made sense. Yeah. Mama would always be ironing. Yeah. So, you know, if I didn't know better... I could have a conversation with her for 20, 30 minutes and really think there was absolutely nothing wrong. You make a point in your book, and I think we chatted about this earlier, about being a medical advocate. And uh, I love the, the phrase that you put in here from Dr. Seuss. It's 
Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. And I think also what that says to me is if someone has an Alzheimer's matter or a memory matter, they really need someone there to help them, but also to think critically. And uh, many times when folks go to doctor visits, the person with the issue hears one story and the other person that's there often hears another. Would you say that that's accurate? Yes. And, and what, what is so hard for adult children to understand is that once their parent has dementia, there is going to come a point in that dementia where they are still functioning, but they no longer can make a logical, rational decision about their safety. And so the adult child will still say, but mama doesn't want to get help. Daddy won't let me take his guns out of the house. There comes a point where we are going to have to love a whole lot and step up and understand that our loved one can no longer make that logical, rational decision. So we have to do it for them. Yeah, people with affliction often see and hear what they want to see and hear. They uh, have difficulty thinking critically. And uh, I think it's really important to have an objective, independent third party that's available, which could come you know, from a caregiver operation like Home Helpers or a resource like yourself that can lay it out and call it like it is. Right. Um, and, and keep in mind that, that part of Alzheimer's, is that they do not know there is anything wrong with them. Right. That is not denial. That is part of the disease where they do not recognize there is anything wrong with them. So they're not going to understand why you're telling them they need to do all these things because yeah. there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Well, I think the, the book does a, a, a lot of counseling about, you know, you're not alone. This is what I picked up from reading it. You're not alone. There are others that have gone through this. Don't go it alone. Here is uh, a checklist and some items that you want to keep in mind. I think putting together a team was really, this was really well laid out here. And, and I, like what, I like what you say at the end, and it says, always remember that your present situation is not your final destination. And uh, to me, that says, hey, don't be afraid to ask for help. Exactly. And You've got to. I You've think- got to survive this. That's what I also tell family members. Your loved one is not going to survive. Unfortunately, they're not. You have the option of survival. You've got to do what you have to do to survive. Well, and you have a life to live, and I think if uh, the parent or whoever's afflicted with uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, whatever the matter is, would want you to have your own life, would want you to probably participate on some level, but also want you to, hey, go, go live your life. Mm-hmm. So you've had this great run prior to getting to Home Helpers, you had the great run at Home Helpers, you've written the book, and now you have Solutions by Beth, kind of a continued evolution. Uh, You're a gifted speaker, you've got enormous knowledge. Tell us about Solutions by Beth and kind of how all that is going and how it came about. Well, Solutions by Beth is really twofold. One is I will help individual families. I'll come in, I'll talk to you, I'll help you make a plan, I'll help you see ways that family members who don't think they can do anything really can help and contribute. Um, I'll help you look at your finances, doctors. I can just help you develop an entire plan um, for what you need. So that's the individual side of it. 
on the group side of it is education. Um, like I said, I have one talk specifically for pastors and lay leaders of churches. Um, you know, if if someone's in your church and they they're hopefully they're going to come to the pastor um, and let them know. There's a story that I actually heard in one of my talks I did, and there was there was this one preacher who they had a woman in the church that was she was flirting with the men, she was cussing with the men, or just cussing. She was saying things. They called her down. They talked to her. They did the Matthew thing. They talked to her. She wouldn't get any better, and they finally excommunicated her from the church. What they didn't know is that woman had frontal lobe dementia. Mm. She couldn't help what she was doing. They mm. didn't realize that. Contrast that to this other church where man, every time the whole church would say amen, he would say O-S-H-I-T, loud and proud, every time. <sighs> that pastor understood that he had vascular dementia. Wow. And where his damage was done is in his vocabulary. And he did not know he was saying O-S-H-I-T. He thought he was saying amen. And he got up and stood for the congregation. And he said, "If I know what you heard, but that's not what he's saying. And if you can't hear him praising God, this may not be the church for you. You know, that's what churches need to understand. They have got to understand their congregation and they've got to understand what their families are going through. So I I talk to them. I want to talk to professionals. I want to teach professionals. I want to teach caregivers, you know, civic groups. This is a major, major thing. You know, one in six people right now have dementia. One in over 65. One in six. That's huge. Well, you don't die from that generally, right? Okay. Now I get to get on my soapbox. The reason that dementia is not the number one cause of death is because we do not put it on the death certificates. Why is that? When you ha- because what you actually die from is when the part of the brain dies that stops your heart, you die from heart failure. When the part of the brain hits your respiratory, you die of respiratory failure. So when you have Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, what you actually die from is another event. That's what gets put on your death certificate. Hmm. Okay? Interesting. Once we start putting on our death certificates that they have dementia and the type of dementia, you are going to see that dementia is really the number one cause of death. But we're not putting it on there. We have got to get it on the death certificate. It, it seems like even though there is a lot of information out there, education is really, really important around this issue. I think about you know the items I picked up in the book and just items that I picked up knowing you over the past several years. Uh, there's a lot that the public doesn't know. And so I think that what you're doing with Solutions by Beth is so important and it seems like the mission is we've got to tell people the deal <clears throat> with you Alzheimer's really do. and dementia-related matters. I have, a, I have a segment of the book about, um, and I have a talk about what people don't tell you. Yeah. You know, we need to talk about what people don't tell you. And, you know, because it's the same thing, like we talk about the cancer. You know, everybody's so afraid of it. They're so afraid of what's going to happen. They don't want to talk about it. Yeah. They're so afraid that... To you know, for someone, it, it's so I like I said I do this talk for preachers, and I had one preacher tell me, you know, you just really destroyed every commandment there is, because when you're in the Alzheimer's world, it's okay to lie. Hmm. When you're in the Alzheimer's world, they're going to steal things, and they're going to think you're stealing things. When they're in the Alzheimer's world, they're going to cuss, 
and they're going to use God's name in vain. When they're in the Alzheimer's world, they may fall in love with someone other than their spouse. Hmm. You know, so I, I go through and like I said, I do, you know, it's hard. It's a different world. But, but you know, if you think you're the only one going through that yeah. and you don't realize these things are happening to everybody else, it makes it so much worse. I think that was a, a really good part of the book. Uh, you know, you did a very clear job of illustrating that, hey, this is, this, is not, this is not a journey that you're the only one that's on it. There are others going through it. You don't have to do it yourself. You laid out a lot of ideas for people to deal with it. Um, are there any other projects in the works, any other books coming our way? I do. I have um, actually two books. One's further along than the other. The one that's the farthest along is a, it's for families to understand that even if they do hire professionals to come in and care for their loved ones, even if they do place their loved ones in an assisted living, that it does not um, remove their responsibility for ensuring that the caregiver is trained. Yeah. And so it's a book about how to help the caregiver that's caring for their loved one understand how to care for their loved one. And just because um, I think that's a lot of times we do, we, we, we place we place our loved one in a memory care. Yeah. And we assume that those people working in that memory care understand everything they need to know about dementia. And they don't. So we still, even though we we ask someone else to help us care for our loved one, we're still part of that care team. So the net book is explaining, <coughs> excuse me. So my next book is explaining what that family needs to do yeah. to help give the tools to their caregiver. Oh, and then scary. I have one, um, the next one, which is further back, is um, helping children understand dementia. Well, you've Beth, you've certainly separated yourself. Uh, from your competitors in, in what you've done with your experience, Home Helpers, the book, um, Solutions by Beth. If you could give the younger version of yourself some advice, what would it be? The th we, you talk about, um, or people talk about their regrets and things like that. Um, when I think through my regrets, I think of them more in terms of motherhood than I do a lot of times professional. I can remember because I was so busy working and, and no matter what job I had, and I worked for Delta Airlines and I worked for a church and I worked for different places, I always wanted to be the best and I always wanted to be the number one and I always gave 120%. And I can remember doing stupid things like cooking a cake for my work and telling my kids they couldn't have a piece of it mm -hmm. because I had to take the perfect cake to work without a piece out of it. And I think back of how stupid that was. Um, you know, so when I think about regrets is that, you know, of the th things I did trying to get to the top or trying to be number one. And somehow that was so important to me that giving a piece of cake to my child wasn't, <laughs> or, you know, and, and, and those are the things I regret. Yeah. Um, I wish I just had realized that, that part didn't matter yeah. as much. Um, other than that, um, I, I kind of like the path I did. I um, kind of well, went all over worked. the place. <laughs> it certainly worked. It's hilarious that I went back to school to work for hospice. And even though I'm not working in hospice now, I kind of ended up <clears throat> you know, with still seniors 
um, toward the end of their life. But all that experience, don't you think that they were very effective building blocks to get you to where you are now? Everything I've done, every job I've had has been people in crisis and families in crisis. Even at the church, you know, there would be families in crisis, you know, at DFACs, families in crisis, you know, everywhere I've been, that has been the thing that I've been able to deal with most is families in crisis and helping them work through that crisis. Well, you've certainly been great at that. If if there was a young lady out there that wanted to follow your path, uh, what would you tell her? What insight would you have for her? I think it's important to not only believe that you can do something, but to find someone that also believes you can do it. Mm-hmm. Because there is so much, and I think, I know men have it too, but women really do have the negative self-talk about, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, what do I think I'm doing, why do I think I can do this? And just having someone there who will tell you, yeah, you can do it, um, helps. Um, But even if you don't have that person, you've, you've got to do it. Well, it helps to have uh, a mentor or somebody to bounce ideas off of. I mean, I think if you're going to follow the path that you did, uh, certainly um, you would be a very good mentor. And you could, I think you'd be candid about sharing, hey, I, you know, with this task, I, I could have done this, 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 and this, and it may have turned out differently and, and so on. So well, pe- yeah, pe- That's the hard thing. People always want to tell you about all their successes. You're really not going to learn anything about their successes. <laughs> Well, you're you're going to learn about their failures. That's what you're going to learn. What they what they really screwed up on well, you're not is gonna, where you're going to learn. You're not going to help anybody unless you can help them understand the things that you should have done differently. Mm-hmm. And um, so if the listenership wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that, Beth? They can go to Beth's, um, Solutions by Beth, solutionsbybeth.com. They can email me at beth at solutionsbybeth.com. And they can call me at 678 678- Five nine zero six five nine nine. Well, Beth, you've been a tremendous guest, and uh, just congratulations on all of your successes. I know that that will be uh, continued in the future, and thank you for being a great guest on Tuesdays with Corey. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. This show is brought to you by our great friends at the Long-Term Care Planning Group. Thank you for joining us today. This is Sanjay Ture for Business Radio X. 